Welcome to the Nanalyze podcast. We are a boutique media and research firm specializing in disruptive innovation. Visit nanalyze.com for more details. Property Crisis is Here is the title of today's presentation. And while this is a seemingly clickbait title, I can assure you that the content within this presentation is anything but. You're going to learn a lot about single-family home real estate and commercial real estate and the effects of interest rates on these asset classes. So you would have seen a lot of media talking about how, how all hell is going to break loose. Commercial real estate is melting down fast. Home prices will be the next to crash. That's from Mr. Elon Musk. Uh, why Musk sees house prices, commercial real estate values falling. So there's all this doom and gloom, and we wanted to dig a little bit more into that because of a number of reasons. Half of our subscribers are in the United States, and a meaningful number of those individuals have mortgages. So this is relevant to a lot of people. Our own asset pool is exposed to three REITs, so we need to start by doing a few things here, uh, defining what commercial property is. But before we do that, let's start by looking at single-family homes. So I pulled this up on Google right before this presentation. That loan amount you see there for 300k is off. So the average price of a home in the United States is now 400 over 400k. But what I wanted to point out here is just this remarkably high 30-year fixed interest rate for a home at 8.5%. I think most people don't realize, perhaps, uh, the impact of what a high interest rate like that does on mortgages. And this is really unprecedented. This is a great chart showing the 30-year fixed mortgage rate since the 70s until today. And look at that slide all the way down and look at that spike. That's really unprecedented, right? So when we look at a mortgage... If you just paid on a loan with zero interest, this is what that looks like. So we've used a home price of $500,000, a 20% down payment, which is pretty typical, and a loan term of 30 years. Again, fairly typical. And you can see the little chart on the right. It shows that halfway through this loan, you will have paid half the principal and there's no interest, right? So half the loan balance will be paid. So that makes sense. Now, let's take a look at when we add in interest rates. So on the left here, this would have been the interest rate prior to that spike that we saw. All right. So if you wanted to buy a $500,000 house, you took out a $400,000 loan, you'd expect to pay about half of that in interest at the end. So $200,000 roughly in interest. The payment, the monthly payment, when you started out, the first permit payment you would make would be $1,000 in interest and $686 in principal. So what? $1,700 payment, right? And then you can see over time how that works. Initially, you pay a lot of interest and a lesser amount of principal, and then that changes as time goes on. Now, look on the right at what happens when you bring interest rates up to 8%. First of all, the total amount of money that you pay for that $500,000 house is a million, over a million dollars. But look at the payment. It doesn't say at $1,700. Now it's $2,900. And that first payment, $2,600 goes to interest and just $260 goes to the principal. So the dynamics of a loan change significantly with a higher interest rate. And Let's assume most people don't care about interest rates. I would be very surprised if half the people signing on mortgages understood how that, that interest versus principal dynamic works for a loan. I was certainly surprised to see it when I bought my house many moons ago. But 
Now, let's assume people don't care much about the interest rate. As a rule, fewer people will want to buy a house when they get so much less for their monthly payment, right? So instead of a, you're looking at a $500,000 house, instead of that $1,600, $2,900, that's a big difference. So what you'll also see is that homeowners won't likely exit their fixed rate mortgages. And Americans, they love to upgrade their houses. They won't be doing much of that. People who want to sell a house, they're going to be hard-pressed to find buyers. And what you would suspect here is that they're going to drop their prices until someone with cash steps in. Because there's always the intrinsic value of that property that's being looked at by professional developers, let's say, or investors. And they'll step in with cash when there's a good deal to be had. So what we can assume from all that is that property prices will drop. So now we understand what all those headlines are about. Now, when you look at commercial real estate, this is surprising. I didn't know this. Single family homes are a $43 trillion asset class in the United States alone. When you look at commercial, it's half of that, around $21 trillion. And this breakdown here that we can see, there's different types of commercial real estate. So you see at the top, multifamily, $3.8 billion. That would be rental properties with more than five housing units. That's what they refer to as multifamily. So apartments, condos, townhomes. Then we have office at $3.2 billion, then retail at $2.9, healthcare at $2.3, and you can go down the list. There's REITs, investment vehicles that target each one of these niches, such as, look, you can see cell phone towers at the bottom or self-storage or data centers. We covered that in a video and looked at whether or not those were viable. They weren't. Now, what Musk is warning about and others, commercial real estate relies on the health of banks and their ability to finance projects. And U.S. regional banks finance a lot of major real estate projects, and they've been asleep at the wheel. And the example here would be Silicon Valley Bank. They were blindsided by rising interest rates and their CRO was asleep at the wheel. Whether or not they had one, the risk uh, individuals they had on staff were more focused on their diversity initiatives than they were on controlling risk. That created some problems. The bank blew up. This article here on the bottom by CNBC uh, describes the situation pretty good. So analysts raised concerns that developers might default on a big chunk of the $3.1 trillion of U.S. commercial real estate loans Goldman Sachs says are outstanding. So almost a quarter of mortgages on office buildings must be refinanced this year. So with higher interest rates than the 3% paper that stuffs banks' portfolios now, there's a problem. Other analysts are wondering how these landlords are going to find new tenants as their old leases expire this year with office vacancy rates at record highs. They go on to say that they believe industrial, retail, and hotels are solid. Interesting, right? So you can't just ball all of commercial property into one asset class and start talking about it. You need to dissect it. And when they're talking about office vacancy rates, this is very interesting Vacancy rates are inversely correlated with macroeconomic variables like total unemployment and corporate profit figures. And look at these statements at the bottom here. So in 2009, when we had that big crisis, office vacancies jumped to 14.9%, highlighting the recession's devastating effects. So at that time, that was, a if you can remember when that recession happened, um, it was a lot more dramatic, I think, than, than what's been described today. I was on uh, in Canary Wharf in London when that happened, and it was just, um, it was a huge 
devastating impact to the entire financial sector. And it says here, furthermore, and this is from 2009, many businesses opted to hire contract workers who could function remotely, removing the need for office space and saving money while economic conditions were poor. So you not only have the coronavirus that helped accelerate that, but you also have poor economic conditions that are moving towards, look at the table here on the right. So the top markets, that's what this is sorted based on price per square foot. Look at the top uh, re uh, commercial real estate markets there and the total vacancy change. And I've highlighted some to pay attention to. So San Francisco's at 23% total vacancy, a 12-month change of 500 bips. So it was around 18% a year ago. Now it's 23. The average here on the left, so remember in 2009, the devastating effects resulted in 15%. Look at where we at, we're at with the average. We've already passed that. So there's a real problem with a vacancy in offices. Now, when we look at REITs, REITs tend to focus on institutional quality property. So about half of all properties are of a higher grade that REITs would consider. And you can see here the REITs share of total commercial property versus REIT like that high quality. All right. So when we look at REITs, there's a new term that we're going to introduce here. It's funds from operations. This is a figure used by REITs to define the cash flow from their operations. So that's pretty easy to understand. We look at cash flows. That helps us understand businesses. Real estate companies use this FFO, funds from operation, as a measurement of operating performance. So not all REITs are created the same. Here's Federal Realty Investment Trust. This is a REIT that we're holding. During the global financial crisis, here's how they performed relative to their peers. First chart, FFO per share growth. So they saw a minus 2.8% decrease, whilst the peer averages were 33% in 2009. The next year, peers were minus 20%. They were up 2.6%. And then they go on to show you same store growth. The fact is that they're quite resilient to problems to the old macroeconomic headwinds when you look at their income stream so uh, they're diversified geographically uh, within the united states they're, there's i don't believe any international exposure here but you see they describe different uses retail residential office hotel well we want to break that down and better understand what segments of commercial real estate they're exposed to so one thing that you can look at is their top 10 tenants. Most REITs should provide this, and you can start to understand the REIT a little bit better by looking at who's paying them the most money. You see TJX there. <clears throat> look at NetApp and Splunk in um, <clears throat> third and fourth place. CVS Pharmacy, so the pharmacies haven't been doing too good. You got Gap, Ross, so clothing, Albertsons Grocery, Home Depot, and along the bottom there they've listed the credit ratings for these various tenants. This is by annualized base rent. So that gives you some idea, but you need to see this aggregated. So this slide here shows you that. So look at anchor tenants are 35% of their income, their ABR, annualized base rent. Uh, so those would be the larger firms. On the right, you can see that composition by category. So grocery, pharma, restaurants, apparel, etc. And then uh, in that pie chart, you see residentials at 12%, office at 13%. So 25% there is different asset classes, whilst the rest would be, it seems, uh, more focused on retail. So if retail is going to be resilient and we can 
Uh, pretty much see based on history that this uh, REIT is going to be resilient, then we're not overly concerned about what's happening in the uh, broader real estate industry. Here's a look at two other REITs, uh, NNN and Realty Income. So both of these uh, are very heavy on retail, as you can see there. So uh, that would be less concerning, and maybe there's a, a, a coming deep dive where we look into um, how uh, how retail might be affected by what's going on. But that brings us to WP Carey. So this is a, a real estate investment trust that quite a few people have been talking about lately. And uh, that's because they spun out the office component of their portfolio. You can see the pie chart on the left, that's 19% of their annualized base rent. And you can see on the right, they're describing uh, their industry diversification. But the big question here, did WPC cut their dividend. The general consensus by seeking alpha writers, which you always need to check, seems to be that the dividend was cut. Uh, they also seem to believe the track record is 24 years, not 25. So in our quantigence methodology, we license data from NASDAQ and we manually calculate a universe of dividend champions and WP Carey is in our universe. Now, generally, we would look to S&P 500 to see if they've also classified a company that we have as a champion or as they refer to it as an aristocrat. But WPC isn't in the S&P 500. That's a requirement that they have. You can very easily check that. Just go look at the ETF SPY, download the constituent list and search through it. So you can, that's a quick, easy way to check if a company's in the S&P 500. Now, when we look at dividends paid by WP Carey, um, I like this uh, chart from Schwab here. It shows their gradual increase over time. All we want to see is a small increase. If that's 1%, fine. So we see that is pretty much what it's been over the last number of years there. Uh, in 2022, 81% of AFFO was paid out as a dividend. That's the acronym that we described earlier. Their cash flows was paid out as a dividend, and we can do the math. We looked in their financials, did the math. Okay, 81%. This statement here is what's concerning everybody. WPC positioned to further drive growth through a dividend reset. It's not good language. Targeting an AFFO payout ratio of low to mid-70s, enabling a higher proportion of cash flow to be retained going forward that can be accretively reinvested. So that's a problem. If you did the math on that, it's especially with that spinoff, hard to see how they're going to be able to take a lesser or a lesser proportion of a smaller pie and beat that last number. So it looks like the dividend will be cut. But champion status is lost officially when 2023 says something less than $4.24. That's when we'll know. Now, those of you who are annual premium subscribers have access to a bonus report called Quantigence, a guide to dividend growth investing. I, I built this along with some esteemed colleagues for over a decade, and it's really solid. About more than half our assets are in this strategy. And if you go to the real estate page, I wanted to point this out. We just rebuilt this strategy from the ground up and made some methodology tweaks. And one of the things I noticed in looking at this is these are supposed to be zeroed out for real estate, for REITs in our strategy. We decided to zero out payout ratio because it's not really applicable to REITs and also international sales because most REITs are domestic. So it doesn't really make sense to start calculating those. So these numbers that you see here are incorrect and will be 
reissuing just another uh, version of this report slightly tweaked to have all those zeroed out. It doesn't change the the overall numbers very much. Uh, REITs still have uh, quite low Q scores because their uh, five-year dividend growth rate, as you can see, is quite low there. It's under, I think, inflation, and then we penalize them for that. So I just wanted to make a note of that. To conclude, it's not a good time to buy a home or sell a home, based on what we talked about today. Uh, there are many types of REITs. The types we hold are mainly exposed to retail, so perhaps a follow-up is needed there to understand how retail is being impacted here. WPC appears to be ceasing their dividend growth, so we're going to make a decision about excluding them from quantigens as quickly as they came in. They'll be likely going out. And the big question, of course, uh, to ask here is what's going to happen to interest rates. And that's a, um, a rabbit hole in its own. So I'm going to put up another video here on REITs that you might find interesting. Before you click that, please click the Analyze logo on the right. Support our channel. We don't run ads, so we need your help. Like this video, please. It'll be very helpful. Thanks for taking the time to watch this today. Thank you for listening to the Nanalyze podcast. If you found this information useful, please share this episode with a friend. This helps us to continue to provide thorough research for you. Want more research like this? Want to know what we're invested in and what stocks we're avoiding? Head to nanalyze.com and consider becoming a premium annual subscriber to get access to premium articles, webinars, and our extensive tech stock catalog. Thank you for your time.